Hey, Lisa. Hey, Julie. How is it going on this coldest day of the year? I was just going to say cold. It's so bad. It's like windy and cold and um, you're not missing anything by not being outside running right now. Let me tell you, it's, it's, it's been tough. And I know a lot of our runners, I've been looking through our final surge comments today and they're all like, oh my gosh, that was so brutal and so tough. And um, the ones I've had a chance to respond to, I said, well, you know, it's good. It's good. Uh, good training if race day dawn's uh, cold and windy you know you can do it you're practicing your strategies for you know uh, uh regulating your your effort with the wind um and uh you know i just keep thinking we're more than halfway through winter and we're like headed towards spring it's gotta get better soon for sure we also advised our runners if they have the flexibility there's no need to go out and do your long run on the coldest day of the year uh everyone is building character just by training and chances are race day conditions will not be below zero or the real feel below zero. So you don't have to <laughs> don't jinx us. Don't jinx you, will us. Not, you will not be a wuss by changing the date of your long run to a different day. While we encourage runners to run in all types of conditions, we really don't believe there's much of a benefit at all to running in conditions that are that cold. And we understand in some areas of the country, you don't have a choice. And, and we certainly respect those of you listening who run in those areas of the country and you know how to handle those temperatures. But if there is an option to run on Sunday instead or a different day, we, we really, there's no shame in doing that. We encourage runners to be smart. If you do have to run your long run on the coldest day of the year in the Northeast, which is tomorrow, Saturday, February 4th, just know that it's advisable to run in loops where you're close to either your car, if you drove somewhere for your run or an indoor space such as your home, in case your body is just not able to withstand the cold. Everyone responds to these temperatures differently. And while we certainly understand that there's no bad weather, just bad clothing for weather, there are exceptions and certainly extreme temperatures are those exceptions. And we all respond differently. And again, there's no shame in shortening your run, changing your run, doing portions of your run on the treadmill, be creative and, and just know you have choices. Yep. And, and also that, um, uh, the cold can affect your pace and your effort just as much as the heat can, because your body is struggling to keep your core warm versus keep your core cool on a hot day. So I know for me, I cannot hit the paces I normally hit on, a, you know, both of us are more sensitive, I think, to cold than to heat. Um, I ran today and I, I just could not get going like the entire, I never warmed up and I just felt like it was slow pace and it's just, you know, it's just the, the way it is. The other thing um, to keep in mind is your water will freeze. So um, if you can put Gatorade in your water bottle, that will um, freeze at a, at a lower temperature. Um, uh, and, or if you can, um, you know, just keep your, um, one trick is um, at Kelly, uh, Kelly Scherf had, had mentioned this to us one time that I really liked is uh, carrying your water bottle upside down on your run so that the uh, mouthpiece doesn't get frozen. Cause if it's just a thin amount, like a small amount of water in the mouthpiece, it'll freeze quickly. If you carry it upside down the water, there's so much water there that um, it's less likely to freeze. So your That's water a great bottle tip. up. Yeah. I remember Kelly telling us that. So just keep in mind your water could freeze, especially for our runners who are running up in Canada and up North and in some of the colder places, um, uh, you know, make sure you're, you're still staying hydrated and you're not stuck with a frozen water bottle. So, um, how's your week been, Julie? How's my recovery week, going? My week's going okay. It hasn't been great. I feel like every week I've made progress and this week for, I have no idea why, but I woke up one morning with my knee, um, swollen, not extremely swollen by any means. 
but it was enough to alarm me. And fortunately I had physical therapy that day and I was able to talk to Josh, my physical therapist about it. Uh, and he wasn't concerned and my movement patterns were the same and progress isn't linear. And sometimes for whatever reason, this thing's going to act up. And maybe I did a little too much the day before. I don't think I did. Maybe this is the graft. I had an allograft and maybe it's just because I'm in week six slash seven. And that's when the graft is the weakest. And, uh, the vascularity of it is, is it's still the, and my body's still getting used to it. All of these things are forming and perhaps this is my body's reaction to it. As you can listen, I've, I have no idea why this happened, but I did some ice and, um, today I went to do some strength training and I feel fine. It's just bothering me because it's just a reminder that I, I can't control this and I'm doing the best I can with what I have. Um, but to be honest, Lisa, I'm just over it. I'm in week starting week eight. I'm, I'm bored of doing all these exercises. I'm trying my best. I'm trying to stay positive, but admittedly, like I'm in a slump, you know, I just, I'm not really eager to get out there and go running, but I'm sick of being an ACL patient and I'm acknowledging that today I'm sitting in it. And hopefully tomorrow I'll feel better when I don't have to struggle with running in these obscene temperatures. And, uh, yeah, just being honest, that's where I am. But on a, on a lighter note, I am indeed making progress. I've been, um, leg pressing more weight this week. Um, I'm definitely getting stronger all over because I have nothing else I can do. And, uh, riding the bike has gotten even easier to the point that I'm eager to actually use the bike as cardio, but I'm certainly waiting for my doctor's permission to do that. I'm not going to go ahead and do that without his permission, because again, this is when my graft is the weakest. And that's why this is a tricky injury because you can't just assess by how you're feeling, how far to progress your body is doing things inside that you're not aware of. And it's really important to listen to, um, the professionals and not just sort of listen to your own intuition because chances are it may be wrong. So that's where I am. Well, like you said, it's not linear, but hopefully we'll head back up in the right direction. I'm confident that you will, but I think it's a good reminder that, um, that, uh, you know, even though you're doing everything right, your body has to take, it has to, it's on its own timeline and it's, it, it's a process. So, um, so I'm eager for you to get back to, to feeling good and feeling positive about, uh, you know, the direction that you're going in, but I'm, I'm confident that that's going to happen. So. Thank you. So thanks for sharing with us, you know, it's a bright spot for me though, honestly, and this is not toxic positivity at all. I am really excited for Boston, even though I'm not running, I'm already excited for the weekend. I'm excited to support you and all of our runners. And we are in the works of doing another live podcast and doing the planning for that. And we, we are hopeful and eager for things to come together with that. And of course we'll be doing our shakeout run and you made your plane reservations this week. I already made mine. We've got our hotel secured and I got to tell you, it's, it's really a bright spot. So speaking it's exciting. of, Boston, it's coming, it's coming. It's coming. And, um, I signed, 
this week, um, 5K registration opened and closed very quickly. And I will say they had a, um, it, it was registration opened at 10 a.m. on the 1st and uh, the site crashed. Oh. So, but the BA was on top of it and very communicating very clearly on the face their Facebook page and their social media of like, we know it's going on, we're fixing it, like stay tuned. And within a half hour, it was back up and um, Kira was registered. I registered Kira who's coming uh, with us this year. Um, really excited for her to come. And she's really excited to run the 5K. So I was nervous. I wasn't getting, she wasn't going to get in. I was going to like close before I could get through. Um, so um, so that is done in that Saturday morning for anybody who's going to be in Boston early. Um, it's kind of fun. We've usually, when we're there early, we've gone to watch the 5K. And it's, it's always fun fun to watch. And it's a nice way for people to get involved in the in the marathon weekend at, without having to run the marathon. So friends, family that are there to spectate and support, I think it's a really nice way uh, for them to be part of the weekend. I'm super excited for Kira to run it. I'm I'm excited to hang out with Kira. Kira, I know, and I thank you. Like this is you know as much as as your you know injury, it's just disappointing to not have you running the race. You know, back when you realized this was happening, you were saying, "Well, it's a good year for Kira to come because, um, you know, she could hang out with you." So I really, really appreciate that, and she'll be fine on her own if you get sick of her and don't want to hang out with her. But I think she's actually really. She keeps saying like, "Well, I'll go with Julie to watch, and we'll watch here, and we'll watch." You know, she's very excited to hang with you. So I really, really appreciate it. Oh my gosh. First of all, it's my pleasure. I love your daughter, Kira. I'm excited to hang out with her. It is not a chore at all. And let her know that I'm excited to have a buddy and we're going to have a great time. So, um, I promise, I promise I'll bring, I'll bring her back to you at the finish, <laughs> but we're going to just have our own little party on race day and run around and see all the runners. And of course, some of the more high profile runners who, um, in the elite field and speaking of which we are really, really excited this week to welcome one of the runners who will be running in the elite field of Boston. And her name is April Lund and April is one of the masters running runners who will be running the Boston marathon this year for the first time. And we first learned about April in an issue of fast women, the newsletter, when she won the U S track and field cross country championships in Richmond, Virginia, where she won the master's women six K by a large margin in 2203 by 39 seconds. Quite amazing. Before that April had already done several amazing things, including last year at Houston, where she broke 240 and 239. She was so close to that OTQ in 237. And immediately before she ran Houston, she had a few tragedies that she had to deal with. And she'll talk about that in this episode. And she's clearly a really naturally talented runner. And the fact that she's a master's runner and she's continuing to improve is quite impressive. And we really can't wait to see what she does in the elite field at Boston this year. But what's remarkable about April is not her running story, but what she had to overcome to become a runner. And April talks very openly about this. Uh, she used to live in St. Louis. She now lives in Bismarck, North Dakota. And uh, she was reliant on substances. She was an alcoholic and she really believes that running saved her life. And she's going to talk a lot about this on this episode. So while certainly we give April so many props for all of these amazing times that she continues to post, what is truly amazing about April is all of the obstacles that she's overcome, which makes her victories so much sweeter. And we hope this episode resonates with so many of our listeners. We know it resonated with us because 
you know, not everyone has an ideal story where they get to the start line. In fact, most people who are at the start line have a big story before they got to that start line. And April certainly embodies what it means to be gritty, tough, but also give yourself some grace because certainly if she didn't, she wouldn't be where she is today. So uh, without further delay, we are excited to welcome April Lund to the podcast. Lisa, I hope you have a great week. You too, Julie. Bye. Bye. April Lund, welcome to the Run Farther and Faster podcast. We are so excited that you joined us today and we wanted you to share not just about your running journey, but about your personal journey as well, because you just have an incredible story, April. So why don't we get started? If you could just give us an introduction, tell us who you are, where you're from, and um, a little bit about your background. Perfect. Well, thank you guys so much for having me. Um, Man, I don't even know where to start really when we talk about my journey. Um, I've just been very, very blessed. I never in a million years when I started this journey, thought I would be where I'm at. And, uh, you know, about eight years ago, I was hundred pounds heavier, 44.8% body fat. And I was just in an, in an alcoholic as well. So at some point you just have to get sick and tired of being sick and tired and you have to make some changes. And my life has been filled with adversity since birth. You know, when I grew up, we didn't have food on the table. Actually, how I became really good at running, I got last in every race, I quit, but my friend lived across town. And when you grew up in the hood, you had to be home by the time the lights were on. So so I would be able to go there, eat dinner, and you would have to sprint home as fast as you could. So, you know, my life has been... my life has been a blessing. And I think a lot of people look at the obstacles that they're in and they focus on those obstacles and they stay rooted in the problems that they have currently. And my mission in life is to teach people how to go get their victory and how to be a champion where you are today. And instead of focusing on the problems, let's use those as stepping stones for our future. Because without everything that I've ever been to or been through, I would never be where I'm at today. And I look at all of it. Like, I mean, even um, me just making Team USA to go to Australia, if California, I ran the uh, California International Marathon. It was supposed to be like where everybody finally at age 40 knows who April Lund is, right? So it was like my breakthrough race. And because of injury, I had to pull out and I've never had to pull out of a race before. And it was so devastating. But without that failure and the ability to come back and persevere, I would never have made Team USA and been going to Australia. So Through adversity, I really feel whether it's from childhood, adult life, what we're going through yesterday or today, we can use those things and not just go through it, but grow through it and create the tomorrow that we don't even know. I want to say that we want, but really, if we just try our best, who knows what the rest is? And I really believe that. That's such an important message for not just running, but but anything in life. So um, tell us. Then how did you get into it? How did you go from, you know, a heavier person, unhealthy, 44% body weight? How did, how did you get into running? Because that seems like, you know, a lot of people of any shape look at running as intimidating. How, how did you start running? Well, so my sister ran and I remember when um, I was a kid, we would go to her races. And so I just thought that's what you did. 
right? And then I had I got last in every race except one, which was really nice. Um, I beat one girl one time, and I also even quit cross country because the girls were mean, you know. Um, but I just didn't want to give up, and I really just kept my whole life. I've always feel like I've always came back to running, and I've always came back to God, and I felt like, and I don't want to cry. But I always felt that God gave me this gift to escape the generational curses I was surrounded with my whole life, whether it's addiction, abuse, poverty, whatever that might be. And it's my job to use that gift to be wherever he wants me to be. April, how are you? No, no apologies. It's, it's so moving. How are you able to garner the strength um, from going from being in a position where you felt so discouraged when you had so many obstacles, you were facing addiction. Talk about first your addiction, what that looked like and how are you able to come out of that? Well, you know, I think who we hang around is who we are. And and that's really the truth. Um, I had no clue I was addicted. Um, even when I was doing cocaine, there was a time and I didn't even realize it was a problem because just everyone was doing it. You know, like we would all wake up and do shots and we would laugh about it, but we would still go to work. You know, like I was a productive alcoholic and a productive drug addict, (laughs) you know? Um, And I remember one day I walked outside, I'd been up for a couple of days and a school bus passed me and I saw these kids and I'm like, I can't live like this anymore. And I, I'll be honest, I'm lucky to be alive because there are lots of times I blacked out. I didn't know where I was. You woke up with like, you weren't sure if your car, if you were at your own house. I mean, that's scary. It's really scary. And during that time, I also suffered. I was in a lot of abusive relationships too. That's not an excuse for the bad choices that I made. I just think it enabled the bad choices that I made. And I had to make a choice. Do I want to be alive? or don't I? And that's really what it came down to. And like I said, being sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I knew that there was more for me. I didn't know what that meant, but there was more for me. And I've always been a hard worker. I've always been a good person, right? Doesn't mean I've always made right choices because I mean, I feel like my guardian angel probably is not sober. (laughs) My guardian angel probably has a beer and a big fat cigar going, what is she going to do today? You know? Um, But at some point, we just have to make a choice not to be a victim and to be a victor. And we need to also get rid of things, people, places that complicate us and not compliment us. For me, I packed up and I moved across the country. Like I had to. So just to dig a little deeper for those who who may be struggling with something, for you, what was the pivotal moment that got you to the place where you said, I want to be the victor, not the victim? And I'm going to make these changes because I would imagine it was really hard because you were surrounded by your friends doing the same activities you were, you probably were having a lot of fun. And what was it that enabled you to see more clearly and move across the country and start that new life and really focus on, um, stopping the habits that were causing your addiction? Well, you know, there's several things, right? Like, um, I was in the ER several times cause I was beat the crap out of right. Um, drunk fell down the stairs, broke my sacrum a couple different times, right? Like that, that hurt off air. We can talk about how to fix that. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds <not> good. good. <laughs> <laughs> no, very fine. Um, 
But I think when life gets really hard, we have to make the choice. And we can't keep making excuses for ourselves. We can't keep making excuses for our action. And when we look at it, was my life really fun? I mean, even when I got to go to really cool places, it was always a crap show, right? Like how many times have you been out drinking after midnight that went well? <laughs> I mean, let's just be honest. It really negatively impacts your life. The people that you love, your ability to, to conquer, your ability to really be the best person that you can be. And if you're struggling today, know that you can start today with small choices. And maybe you don't have the courage just to move across the country. For me, I didn't really have much of a choice. I had dug myself a pretty big hole. Um, I was getting the crap beat out of me every day. Um, that's probably a whole other podcast. I was scared for my life. And I knew if I didn't get sober, I wouldn't be alive. And I was fortunate enough um, that I took a position that brought me up to North Dakota to do some sales. And uh, my husband now, he actually, someone had hit my car before I left trying to keep me home. And he is the adjuster that looked at my car. And I just think about all the things. Once again, it's like, we don't know. Like, do I dwell on those bad things or do I stay positive with those things, right? Like, what do I do? You know, and I just think it's really important. And, um, you know, my husband was a strong guy. I asked him out. I asked him out and he gave me a chance. And I think sometimes we just need a chance, you know, and um, I just really blessed. And I probably don't give him as much credit as he deserves. But, you know, your husband, it doesn't have to be your husband. It can be a church. It can be a friend. Uh, for me, it was me and my dog and whatever I could fit in my car. Like I literally came up to North Dakota with $169 in my pocket, a car. I had sold all my stuff so I could buy this car. And so I could get the heck out of here, you know, and then out of that, I've created what I have today. And, um, and I'm just so fortunate that God saw enough in me to keep giving me a chance. April, it is so brave. You know, it's so hard to think about doing that, leaving everything, you know, going somewhere, you know, nothing about having no money, nothing, and just going and trusting that, that it's, it's going to work out. Um, how, how did you start to get into competitive running? Cause you know, you said you always ran, it's been a part of your life. You always, you know, felt like, you know, it was something that you, you enjoyed, but you are really fast runner. We'll get to that later. We'll talk more about your accomplishments, but you're a really talented runner. When did you realize you had that? And how did you kind of transition to that? Where did that kind of spark hit you of like, wow, I can be fast. Well, I was okay in high school. Um, I could never, I broke 12 minutes one time ever in the two mile and I couldn't break 5:30. but man, I was consistent. You knew I was always going to hit 12 to 12.04 and I could run a 5:30 to a 5:32. It didn't matter what day of the week, what I had done. Um, college, I ran for about a year and a half, got injured. That's where I first had my first drink was college. Never looked back. Um, and that's why, like with the runners that I coach too, I make sure we volunteer and we have other ways that we can feel good about ourselves and to contribute because I feel like every athlete, even like, I can't believe the drugs young kids are doing today, but I really believe that every athlete is one injury away from an addiction, whether I, I, it could be pain pills, it can be, it can be food. 
right? Like food is an addiction too. So I really believe in making sure that we, we add other things into our life too. Um, sorry for that little sidetrack there, but I just think, I think no. that's really important. Can I just, can I interrupt in, in, to your no. point? I think the fact that you know that and that you see how important that is when an athlete who comes from addiction turns to running and then that athlete gets injured, then what do they have? So the fact that you recognize that it's so important to nurture the whole person, not just your specific talent is so important. And how beautiful that you are coaching athletes to also do the same, to avoid that. And to your point, and this could be a whole other podcast, you're right. You know, when an athlete gets injured and, and requires surgery, for example, what's one of the first things they're given out of surgery, pain medication. And some people are not meant to take pain medication. And there are so many athletes out there where that has led to a multitude of things related to that pain medication. They go down a road leads to other types of addiction and more severe drug addiction, of course. So, um, I just, I really just want to harp on that point and just say, I, I so admire that you look at this as something that you not only have you recovered from your addiction, you found running, but you also recognize how important it is to look at everything else around it, just in case running isn't always there. And running's not always going to be there. Let's be honest. Like it's not, and we're busy people. And one day we're going to get old. I mean, I hope to still be like 90 breaking world records, right? Like <laughs> I hope, but when people remember me or when someone talks about April Lund, I pray that they don't remember that I was a good runner. I pray that they remember that I was a good person and that I helped a lot of other people overcome their obstacles. And I really want that to be my legacy. Um, and I feel like that's why I was given this gift of running. That's beautiful. Okay. So continue. How did you get into competitive running? Sorry. <laughs> okay. That's okay. Um, so long story short, I was not real good. And then I became better, stopped running, then came back to it on and off. Um, I should send you guys a picture that you can add with this. Literally. I got second in a, in a 3000 with a belly. I mean, it looked like I was nine months pregnant and I had a bottle of rumple mints on the other hand that I took a shot and I didn't still realize I had an addiction. Like when I was in my mind, I was still like this really fast person. And somehow I got second, like, I don't even know how it happened. And then, so, um, when I met my husband, we had to find things to do that wasn't the bar because I knew when I moved, I needed to get sober. So he played hockey in college. Um, I ran once again, I still thought I was just as fast as what I always had been. That was really not the case. Um, we did a couple runs and then I was like, I'm going to go win this 5k. I didn't. Uh, <laughs> I had a dirty ACE bandage wrapped around my foot from where like my feet hurt my leg. I'm, I was almost a hundred pounds heavier thinking that I could still train like I did in college. It was, it was pretty funny, but I did win an age group and I was not leaving till they gave me something. Like I literally sat there for an hour and I'm like, I need something from that. It was like a 2752, I think was my time, <laughs> but I was so proud to come back. And then from there, it just kind of sparked in, um, I ran my first half marathon in 2014. I'm like, I almost got to look on the wall. 2014, it was a 141 and change. And at the award ceremony, I heard that the winner ran a 129. I started doing math and I'm like, well, crap, I can run that. And then that's how it kind of started. Right. And that's from there. It just went. 
So, so did you run the 129 the following year? Yeah, I did. And I won. Yes, wow. I did. <laughs> so what was, what was the time trajectory between that 27 minute 5k and the 129? Um, about a, probably a year and a half. Wow. So what were some of the things you did? Because clearly you did something that is really hard to do. And that is you lost weight and you, um, competitively ran at the same time. And often that's a tough thing to do because obviously that can cause injury. So how did you manage to do both at the same time? Well, you've got to start small, right? So like, I mean, I remember I, it's funny when you see your memories on Facebook and it was like, I ran six miles today and it was so cool. Right. Or the first time you run double figures, I always love new runners because every time they hit like 10 miles or more, there was 500 posts about it. And I'm like, yeah, post it, baby. You know, uh, <laughs> but um, for me, it's it's even how I got where I am today is you set some very small daily goals. And as long as you do those things every day, you'll get the big goals. So I try not. I mean, once again, I had no clue that I was going to be where I am today, but I just know that I, I didn't feel good. My body hurt. I was sick all the time. Um, I couldn't see my shoes because my belly and my boobs were so big. Truth. <laughs> like I literally couldn't see my shoes. I'm like, and I was always so drunk. I didn't know it. And that I, that's truth. So if you do have a friend that is going through a problem and you think they know it, no one ever told me the entire time that I had a problem. I never knew, not even my husband. Anyways. So how, April, how did you, how, what was the, the, you, you ran that 129 and that was in what year was that? That was 2015. Okay. Yep. So that was a while. So, so did you run marathons in between that? And when you ran CIM, did you, were you, did you, I that kind people of, were crazy that ran right. marathons. <laughs> I'm like, I'm half crazy and half crazy is enough. I have learned to never say that's crazy or I'm never going to do that because that is a sign from God that that's coming your yes. way. <laughs> right. I didn't run my first marathon till December 4th, 2019. And that was my debut marathon in California. So that was, and so what, what made you decide to go up to, to go double crazy and, and to go, you know, what made you, what motivated you to say, okay, I'm, I am going to go to the full distance. Well, February that year, um, I was in Arizona, went for a half marathon. I live in North Dakota. So like today it's negative 19, right. And I just wanted to go run somewhere that doesn't count wind chill, but I just wanted to go run somewhere on ground. And it was really kind of my first time just getting out and I do a lot of treadmill running and I ran a 123. And um, after I ran that 129, I kind of couldn't break that 129. And I called up Rich Anderson, um, rest in peace. Uh, he coached me. He told me he had been waiting for that call for 20 years. And um, he works like with Meb's brother and uh, trained a lot of the Kenyans on the ground and just a wonderful, a wonderful resume. Um, but uh, he coached me and he believed in me. This housewife with this big belly and lipstick. Uh, he used to actually laugh. He's like, they don't know what's going to happen to them when you step up to the start line. <laughs> but um, he helped me. And when I ran that 123, I called him and I'm like, you know, someone told me the, uh, the Olympic trial standards are 245. If I'm doing math and I'm doing calculations, I can run a 245. And he goes, yeah, you can. So that's, I never wanted to run a marathon, but out of, 
I want to be an Olympian, you know, I'm like, for that, I will run a marathon. So that's really how that came about was you could get something that's so grandiose and that's so hard. And I just wanted something big like that to shoot for. And then it was within your, within your reach based on what you were, what you were running. So what did your training look like for, for CIM? For my first one? Yeah. Oh, like you know, your mileage. And did you run, did you train? Well, I guess you were training through the summer for that. Um, so you oh, yeah. train, you train well, I, train, I train year round. The off season is the season. Right. <laughs> off season is the season. You know, I was doing 50 to about 70 miles a week for that first one. So, and that's, you know, like to, today I'm a hundred to 130 miles a week. Yeah. And did you experience any injuries or any setbacks during that initial training cycle when you increased your mileage that much and were training for a new distance? I didn't have bodily injuries, but I was sick. I mean, I made a lot of bad life choices and I had had breast implants and um, I have four autoimmune diseases. So I have MS, Renaud's, Hashimoto's and lymphocytic colitis. And I just, every time I would get faster and go to the next level, it's like, if you have a Ford focus, you really don't have to change the oil very often. Right. But when you get like a BMW and then you get a Porsche and then you keep upgrading, you have to do more maintenance and your body has to work. So like even like the the healing of my sacrum from my old injuries. Well, I couldn't go to the next level until I got those things out of the way. So I didn't really per se have a lot of bodily injuries. Like I didn't have shin splints or broken toes or but I had like where, I mean, I was in the hospital quite often because my heart rate was crazy. At one point, my vagus nerve was so bad that Mia wanted to do ablation and burn my vagus nerve, which means I'd be on medication for my whole life. And I'm like, no, I don't really think that that's what I'm going to do today. So um, I was able to heal all of that. And I worked, I worked for a really long time with a lot of natural doctors just to get my body healthy. And I did also get my implants out too. And that was like, that was the game changer from when I went from like 119 down to like 118, 116, 115, 113. That too could be a whole separate episode. Um, whether you believe your implants contributed to the autoimmune stuff, there's a lot of information out there. And a lot of people are starting to talk about that and the connection, but how, how are you currently able to manage? You mentioned you have MS Hashimoto's among other things, those, those are, that's a big deal. And for many people, it's especially MS is debilitating. How are you able to manage it? What types of things have you been doing um, throughout your training, throughout your running to run with something like that? And I know there's a lot of folks out there that have MS and it looks different for everyone, but for you and the way it looks for you, how are you managing that? So all autoimmunes are kind of the same in some point, right? Like your body attacks itself. So actually working out Um, helps me. They used to tell people back in like the eighties to stop working out, which really lets your immune system go hog wild. Right. So you can attack your body will attack itself. But um, for me, I'm on zero medication. Um, I manage all of my symptoms. I manage everything through diet and nutrition or diet and working out, sorry. Um, Which is fantastic. And I believe like I am such a preacher on food and that you have to eat Um, I just started working with a university here so I could choose their indoor track, which is great. And one of the first thing that the girls asked me was, what do you eat? You know, like they saw me race at 3000 a couple of weeks ago was my first race back from my feet. And I 
I had this big belly hanging out and these, <laughs> I don't look like a professional runner and that's okay. Um, but I'm strong and I'm fast and how I look isn't as important as how I feel. Well, so. you look like a professional runner because you are an elite runner. It doesn't matter. And, and we're looking at you now and you're absolutely beautiful. So embrace who you are and know that you do yeah. look like one because that is who you are, period. Okay. Um, that being said, so since you mentioned food, what are, what are some of your favorites for fueling your runs and, and how do you feel your runs, um, during before and after, and what is your go-to fuel during your racing? Okay. So my, and this is one of the questions I get asked the most is how does my nutrition differ race week than any other week? And the answer is it doesn't literally what I weigh almost the exact same when I get up in the morning as when I go to bed and I do the same things. So I believe if God made it, we should be eating it. So, um, if you do keto, please don't come to me to be your coach because you need carbs. I'm just going to throw that out there, but everyone is different. So you 100%, do you. We agree. <laughs> you do you, but I believe in carbs, but, um, I eat meat as long as it's not fried. I'm a huge red meat person for connective tissue repair, um, plus B vitamins. And it also has a lot of other benefits, but, um, meat, potatoes, rice, corn, fruit, vegetables. And that's pretty much, I mean, and coffee. I really like coffee. Um, those are the staple of my diet. I also, um, you can is like a food group for me. So if you haven't tried, you can. So when I started coaching uh, runners and started building my team, um, I had a lot of diabetic people and they couldn't get past like seven, eight miles in their half marathon and they kept crashing. And then I ran my first elite marathon, you know, like in California and I had so many goos in my boobs, in my short, my shorts were falling off, right? Cause there's like all these pouches and no one else stopped to get any fuel other than they just had their water. Well, I found out what it was. I contacted you can, it stabilizes your blood sugar. Um, it's just fantastic. And for me, I work 60 hours a week. I have three jobs. Um, I train full time. So I train at least 30 hours a week. That doesn't count all the two to four physicians I've been seeing for my feet and just general maintenance every single day, except for Sunday. Um, so for me, like energy is so important and stable energy and making sure that I don't ever break down. So when I tell people what my mileage is, they're very shocked, but I'm like, I never hurt. I don't ever feel bad. I, I feel fresh every day, but it is how I fuel. And with autoimmune diseases, you do have to stay away from inflammatory foods. And for most people with autoimmune diseases, gluten, dairy, soy, and sugar typically will help set those off. And April, you talked about, um, you know, your high mileage and how you feel so good. What is your, what does a week look like for you in terms of your workouts? And what is your, like, what's your easy run pace? What do you run for your easy runs? And what is your, what is your kind of structure of your workouts look like for a week? Well, so my workouts are a little different right now. I've been spending a lot of time on the bike. So when, when I just ran that cross country course, like my thighs were eating my shorts I broke my jeans when we were going to dinner because my thighs were so big. <laughs> I think that's funny. Okay. Um, but I typically I'll double five days a week. So that means, um, a run in the morning, run at night or a cycle at night. Um, I use the ultra G right now, but typically I don't. Um, my second run is, is easy and it's somewhere between like a 720 and a 740 pace. My easy runs used to be about eight, 
but I also race, you know, my half marathon, I race about a 530. Okay. So, you know, there's so yep. there. yep. yeah. <clears throat> and then I have at least two workouts during the week, if not three, it just depends how we structure the week and what my goals are. And what about strength? What are you doing for strength? I lift one to two times every single day. I lift and I lift every day. I think it's important. I literally just got cupped for 90 minutes. I don't know if you could see all the red marks I have on me, but um, I believe strength training is one of the biggest attributes to my success and to keep me injury free. You know, I've had problems with plantar fasciitis because I didn't understand. I, I've done all my all my stuff until this year on a treadmill because I live in North Dakota, right? And um, when I went to Kenya to train this summer, it was really hilly. There were huge stones, um, like a cross country course. I'm like, this is nothing. I ran in Kenya, right? Like this is fine. Um, when I came home three days before my spring marathon, my my feet locked up and I couldn't move. But everything else was really strong. Same thing happened to me right before CIM this year. I went and um, taught an altitude camp and trained in the Northern Alps. And when I came home, about a week after coming home, my feet locked up. So I clearly am missing something in that posterior chain with my calves. You know, like what runner stretches? So I have stretched more probably in the last three or four months than I have in the last 40 years. And it's made a huge difference. So my question for you is, you know, it sounds like you've really done a great job of doing all the things you need to do to keep as injury-free as possible with the exception of your feet, but you're able to work through that. How are you fitting all this in where you're working 60 hours a week, lifting twice a day, running twice a day? How do you fit it in and get enough sleep? Well, so if I had one recovery thing that I don't do enough of, it was get enough sleep, right? That was the one thing. It is the best, most underutilized, cheapest recovery tool in the world. And I really didn't realize how much sleep I needed until I went to the Alps and they, we worked out twice a day running and then we would lift as well. And we would just get up based on what time we went to bed. So it was whenever coach woke up, which was me, that's when we would go for our run. And I actually needed nine to nine and a half hours most days, but we were also climbing 2,500 feet at least a day and whatever, but I didn't realize, and my feet actually healed while I was there with zero treatments, no chiropractors, no shockwave, uh, no adjustments, not, you know, none of that kind of stuff. And just sleep, um, just the yeah. healing that happens during sleep. Yeah. Sleeping quality food right? Sleep and just the, the quality of the food. Um, so how do I fit it in? I work strictly from a schedule. So as we were trying to schedule, I literally, I have the paper planner and I was like, my planner should be setting right here. It is. And, uh, well, I guess people can't see me, so there's no need to break it out, but I live and die by my handwritten calendar. And I believe time is so valuable and it's the only resource that we're never going to get back. Right. And when we say yes to something that's not on our schedule, it means we say no to something that is. And I got to the point where for a long time, because of my past and I needed to do some healing, I wanted to please everyone. And I said, yes. And I always just poured and poured and poured into other people instead of pouring into myself. And really, if I can't be good and be fresh and be motivational and I can't feel good, how can I teach other people? Because I believe you lead by example. 
you know, like my mom used to say, well, you never want a skinny chef, right? <laughs> you know, like I would never want a health coach or a running coach that doesn't practice what they preach and isn't living the way that they're, they're suggesting that you live. And so I really got selfish with my time and you might call it selfish, but you know, I'm probably not going to the bar mitzvah. You know, I'm probably not going to the graduation party. Um, I probably am not going out for little black dress Friday. It's probably not happening because right now I have a small window for my goals. Now, that being said, I'm on 12 committees. I do a lot. I do a lot of charity work, but that's because that's important to me and helping other people is important. So I invest my time where there's the most return of investment for me and the people that I love. So how do I get it in? I prioritize and I work from a schedule. I think that's important. I think that's important too, for people to say, I don't have time. You make time. Like you said, you prioritize and you make the time and you say no to the things uh, that you, that you have to say no to. So thank you for saying yes to being on our podcast. <laughs> thank oh, you for thank spending you. time with us. That that means a lot to us. So tell us, um, you know, re- most recently you ran Houston and you ran in 239, correct? Yes. Which is yep. incredible. And that is 10 minutes faster than your CIM time. So how did you make that jump? And um, how did Houston go? Uh, so, and this was Houston last year. Um, and it, it was great. You know, um, I had a lot of adversity going into it, but I'm going to be honest, like life is just adversity, right? (laughs) I mean, it is, I have to tell you, I tried not to cry when we first got on because we just lost our dog. Literally the, like the week I flew out like three days after, and he's 19 years old. And right before I went, sorry, 19 though, 19, nice long life. (laughs) No gluten, no gluten, no dairy, no soy, (laughs) good water. You cook for him. Um, I feel like there's always going to be adversity because where there is a reward or where there's favor, there's always going to be a challenge. Like life wasn't meant to be easy. And that's why I think I like running so much because it's really the only true reciprocal relationship we're ever going to have in our life where what we put in is what we get out and what we focus on is what we get. And, you know, I think we started with talking about not rereading the last chapter, but using today to write your next chapter. And, you know, I love racing the marathon. I love running period. You know, I barely raced for about a year and a half or two years. And there was COVID, but really it was because I spent so much time just training and digging in, you know, and, um, and Houston was powerful. I did lose my coach. You know, uh, we found out that my husband had cancer. I lost my coach. My main doctor, uh, my main doctor had a heart attack. All of this literally like with, and my dog got diagnosed with cancer. I was like, if you're a man in my life, you should probably step out for a second. (laughs) Yeah. We read that you, that all of these things collided the week before you ran Houston. Yeah. How did you, I mean, that is unimaginable those losses and, and then dealing with your husband's health how are you able to focus on the race when all of those things coincided the week before? What's the other choice? Uh, honestly, what's the other, cho- I mean, I worked my butt off for all of those things and all of the things that I mentioned, none of them would be happy if I didn't give my all and I didn't give a hundred percent. And there is champions don't make excuses. We make adjustments, right? I mean, anybody, can choose 
to sit back and do nothing, but that's what you're going to have. Anybody can be negative, but that's what you're going to have. You can't litter trash everywhere and expect to have a beautiful place, you know, and no matter what is going on, we have to do our best because how can we do the rest? And I know, um, like I said, I was just, I'm working with that college team and the girls were telling me about this Netflix series about tennis players. Have you guys heard of that? Yeah, they- it's it's called um, Breakpoint. It is so good. I love okay. it. Well, I, don't, I haven't decided if I'm going to utilize my time going to Australia watching it or not. This is why. Because she was like, oh, I would love to know what it's like to go all in. And I'm like, well, here I am. But moving forward. <laughs> And she's like, yeah, this girl, her boyfriend broke up with her and now she's not going to be able to compete. And I'm like, okay, look, I was like, I don't know if you should watch that show (laughs) because life is all, there's always going to be something that's challenging us. Life is always hard. It is hard every day. Getting out of bed is hard. Picking the right food is hard. Getting enough sleep is hard, but we still have to give ourselves a chance right? No matter what is going on. And we have to show up for ourselves because at the end of the day, no one is coming to save us. We're coming to save ourselves. So you saved yourself. You got to the start line of Houston and what happened in that race that allowed you to have an, over a 10 minute PR? Well, I went out a little quicker and I blame it on Pitbull because I'd heard that song. I feel good. Right. And I was like hitting right there at that 552. I felt really good. I'm like, this is a little quicker than what I thought. And my coach thought I was in like 602 to 604 shape, not six minute shape. Yeah. And, um, and I went out a little fast and at first incline, I was like, oh, I do all my miles on the treadmill. <laughs> I was like at 15, but <clears throat> it felt good. I really pushed really hard. Um, the end, I'll never forget like the last like 5k to 3k because I sounded like a freight train and cause huh, huh, I mean, people were the half marathoners were turning around, just looking like what is happening. And they were all turning around clapping. Cause I'm just, <laughs> and it was, it was a beautiful experience. And, um, I just can't wait to go out again because I have worked so much harder that that time is nothing compared to what I'm capable of now. Okay. So this is super exciting because you're going to go out there again in Boston um, in, in just a few months. And we're so excited to see you there. You are of course one in the elite field, which is amazing as a master's runner, which is amazing. So your dress rehearsal before we talk about Boston was of course in Richmond. So tell us a little bit about the cross country championships in Richmond, what that looked like and how that is playing a part in your Boston training. Oh, so, well, we talked about my feet not being okay. So I had to pull out a CIM and part of my, what I, I've created my own plan. (laughs) I've got like a team of like nine doctors and I know my body enough. And I really don't like when people treat me like a 40 year old sick lady, because that's not who I am. Really. I'm like a 24 year old Kenyan that made a lot of bad choices, right? (laughs) So um, I had to load up my feet and I got lucky enough I could do a 3000 just a couple weeks ago and that went really well. I was pain-free, a little slower than I wanted. I didn't expect a 10-11. I actually expected a little bit faster. Um, I am gonna try to break that American record this year uh, for the 3000 indoors. So I'm pretty excited about that. Um, And then 
Richmond was just kind of by accident because I needed something longer and the snow was hurting my feet being outside here. And the treadmill is not great because you strike the same. So I knew it was a championship race and it would be run well. And the distance was double the other distance. And we went and it was life-changing. It was amazing. I just, Richmond went great. Um, it was just beautiful. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it sounds like you're still processing it. Tell us a little bit about what it was like to cross the finish line and how far in front of the second place finisher were you? Well, once again, I wasn't sure what I was getting into and I couldn't wear spikes because my feet weren't healthy enough yet. Luckily the ground was good. And right out of the gate, somebody else comes right out at 525. And I'm like, well, I know I can at least do the 3k at 525 because I did that last week. Right. So I challenged and I just never looked back and I just ran. Um, I was hoping to run about 533 and I hit five, I hit 532, uh, 548, 551, and then back down to a 533. Um, once again, I had that huffing and puffing where you're huh! <laughs> going up the back, but um, it was, it was just incredible. And to know, I had no clue like Kiera D'Amato was going to be there, Craig Virgin. I'm not sure if you saw my post on Facebook, but I've known Craig Virgin since I was a 14 year old girl and I didn't have running shoes. I had holes in my shorts. I didn't have a sports bra. And there was a woman named Vera Whiteside that believed in me. And she would drive me to St. Louis, which is where I met Rich, my coach. And she would drive me over there so I could run these races in the off season. And one day there was just this man in our car that everyone wanted to talk to. <laughs> and I'm like, what, what is, I just want to warm up. Why do people keep interrupting? I had no clue it was Craig Virgin. Right. So I go, I win the race. I come back and I get in the car and he has all kinds of questions now. Like what's your training? Let me look at your training law, all these things. Long story short, I finished the race, people are doing interviews and here comes this guy with this big smile. And I'm like, oh my God, oh my God. I think that's Craig Virgin. And he goes to shake my hand. He's like, hi, my name's Craig. And I literally just jump on him and hug him as big as I think I might've kissed him too. So I'm not sure. Like it was pretty emotional. <laughs> it was just really cool because it was like my life had came full circle from when I was that little poor girl from the hood with holes in her shoes to winning a national championship and having the, I've never broke a tape before. I literally have my tape setting right here in my flag. It's still setting right here in my living room because I don't know what to do with it. But like to be able to do that and then have like your hero be there at the end. And it was amazing. And then I also got to meet Kier D'Amato and she's like, she knew who I was. I was like, oh my God, she knows who I am. She's like, she I does. She's like, I love your post on Facebook. I'm like, oh my God, can I get a picture? <laughs> Cause it was just, it was so amazing. It's just an incredible experience. And to see all the Olympians and Stephanie Bruce and Jared Ward and everyone was so friendly. And it was just, it was amazing. It sounds like a huge um, confidence boost too, and in, in your abilities and your, um, you know, so much of of what we do. It really, like you were saying before, it takes believing in ourselves, and and that sounds like what a, you know, to bring home a tape. That's a, that's a good one to to bring home. So that's that's amazing. So looking forward to Boston. What 
what are your goals? What do you, what do you, you know, what, what's your preparation like? What are you thinking for Boston? Well, my original, my goals might change a little bit because now with Australia in there, they might, cause I need to get a little bit of speed in, um, which I hit the track for the first time since November 3rd, um, this week. On so an tell us about, let's back up. Tell us about Australia first. Tell okay. So Australia. Yeah. So I made team USA, um, Ben Bruce and I, that's Stephanie Bruce's husband, because when Stephanie said hi to me, I literally stopped and said, oh my God, I think she just said hi to me. Like, <laughs> it was mind blowing because she's, she got second in my first ever CIM. So it was, he's just a hero. Okay. It's anyway. So cool. But um, Ben Bruce and I, he won the men's race. I won the women's and uh, we made Team USA to run the first ever 2K relay. So I'm not sure which one of us goes first, but I run a 2K. He runs a 2K. Um, It's supposed to be the hardest course in the world. So we go through a billabong, which I thought those were just shorts we wore. (laughs) What is billabong? (laughs) Tell us. Billabong is basically like a mud pit, a giant mud pit. Um, and then you have to go over obstacles and all, I don't know exactly what all the obstacles are going to look like, but, uh, it should be challenging, but you know, I was, I'm just writing, um, a presentation and I was talking about how life is so much like a cross country course, because on cross country, it doesn't, the fastest runner doesn't win. The strongest runner doesn't win. Not even the best athlete wins. It's the person who can make the adjustments and push the hardest, that's the person that wins on a cross-country course. And I feel like our life is like that too. So um, we get to run the relay. And then the next day, we're both running our individual championships. And what is the date of the world championships in Australia? February 18th and 19th. So that's that definitely would change, I would imagine, your Boston training. Because once you return, you'll have about six weeks until Boston. So and tell us what you're thinking for that and how you're navigating all of this. And congratulations, because that's such, such we're so excited that you're representing our country. And I think I, I, I can't imagine what that's going to be like. So tell us how you're going to navigate all of this and get to the Boston start line. I have a lot going on before Boston. So we've got, um, so I'm focusing kind of on speed. And this is what I did last summer to really help build my feet back up so they can handle the load because that's a part of the tendon tendons heal through motion, but they have to work, right? Like you have to work up to be able to handle the speed that you're capable of. And honestly, I'm breaking the bottom of my Brooks shoes as I'm running them, you know, like in my Hyperion, literally the bottom is breaking. So it's a little bit of a challenge. So I've got, um, world's for cross country in February. And then I come back two weeks later, I'm going to the masters indoor national championships. And I've got a couple of athletes competing there, but I didn't think I was going to have a track. So I wanted to be sure I could have a track because I also have the goal of, I want to break this 3000 while I still can. And then two weeks after that, I'm actually on team USA for the world indoor championships in Poland. So, and that'd be where I do my brushing up uh, for Boston. So there I'll be running the 3000s my first day. So that's where I, I plan to re-break the record is my, is my goal there. Um, and then the next day I run a cross country course and I'm also, I should be on Team USA for that. And then I run a road 10,000 and then I have a half marathon, which will be my last workout. Um, I'll do that at race pace. 
and I should be on Team USA for that as well. Wow, that is a lot. So, so how, so how do you, how do you fit in marathon? How do you mesh marathon training with this type of, you know, because this is totally different than marathon training. What you're preparing for, other than you know the half marathon, maybe the 10k, but how, how are you kind of meshing those two goals? Well, so you still get the miles on the legs, right? So I'm still doing, I'm still doing um, like the fartlek type workouts. I'm still building the strength in my legs, um, but you also have to add in the speed. So your volume, like the bike is actually kind of a blessing because there's that inverse relationship um, with your speed and your volume. So it's been, it's a little tricky, but it's not at the same time because I'm 40. So it's not like I can run a 6,400. <laughs> Once again, I was huffing and puffing yesterday, trying to hit a 73, <laughs> running down the back stretch. <laughs> they definitely, I have, I just have to say this because this is funny. Can I just tell a quick, funny story? I got Absolutely. cold. I got called old twice yesterday. So I'm at this university and um, it was kind of an independent day of training. And so I'm walking through the weight room and they're listening to Nelly and grills. And I'm like, Oh, I love this music. And I'm doing a little dance. And they're like, yeah, it's old school Thursday. Okay. <laughs> then I go out to the place to warm up and the football team, they have this awesome football field. That's in a, like in a bubble. So it's like 45, 50 degrees and it's soft for my feet. It's like such a blessing and they're jamming out the music and I'm dancing while I'm warming up. And the coach comes over and is like, excuse me, ma'am, do you want me to turn down the music? Is it too loud? No. Was he joking? Oh, that's no. so funny. Oh, that's I thought I could at least pass for a six-year senior. I think you should say, you know, why don't you come out on the track and, and we'll have a little race and we'll see who's, we'll see who's ma'am after that. Absolutely. <laughs> pretty funny. And then they did the, he did apologize to me when they came out to do their plyos and he saw me killing it on the track. He, he was like, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> I'll bet he did. That's, that's crazy. So, so tell, so you mentioned that, you know, you're getting the speed training, you're working on strengthening your feet. But what are some of the things you're doing to simultaneously prepare for Boston? Um, yeah. We're curious to hear that because it, we understand why you're doing all this. You look at all of this as opportunities you don't want to miss. So we we completely get it. Why would you say no to any of this? But it 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 must be hard to kind of piece all of this together. It's not if you know what you're doing. Right. So, you know, like, for example, last week I had speed on Monday, Wednesday, and then on Friday I had my longest run on my legs, which was 145, but it was also average of a 602 pace. Right. But I had an hour and 45 minutes on my legs. Right. So you build up the time on the legs and you keep building. So I'm not going to probably be over 20 mile runs. Probably I, I'm hoping within like while I'm in Australia, I can hit the 20 miles. And I'll have real ground. So I'm hoping while I'm there, I'll be at that 20. But I am also hitting, you know, like two and a half to three hours on the bike at a time as well. And I do, I have a promise to myself every day that I owe myself at least two hours of cardio. So however I get that in. So like this morning, I did an easy 10 miles, right? 740 pace, nice and easy. So that means tonight I'm going to have a 40 to 50 minute bike ride. 
right? So I'm still building that volume on the legs. And even though I've got the speed work in there too, because it is all about the volume and the strength of the leg. And then I'm also really working on the posterior chain, which that's where most people have problems when they can't do the amount of distance that they want to do. So I've got all the strength in there. As a matter of fact, like I didn't even notice a hill or an incline at all at the cross country course. Like I didn't, I didn't even notice it. And I think we finished up a hill, but I'm, it's kind of blurry now at this point, but <laughs> uh, my strength is there. So really just knowing how to build is really, really important because you should be doing speed work. Even if you're a marathon runner, you should be doing tempo work. Even if you're a marathon runner, you should be doing your recovery runs and getting the time on the leg. It doesn't always have to be about distance. Like I can't tell you how far that hour and 45 was, but I know I averaged 602 and I, I don't care what the, what the pace was or, you know, like the overall miles, but I do care how much I had on my feet. If that makes sense. Yeah. So, we're always emphasizing that with our runners that you don't have to hit a magical number 20. But if yes. you get three hours on your feet, that is, you know, that's more than more than enough. So we have, you know, some slower runners who we say, even if that's 18, if that's not, or 17 or 16, that's still three hours on, on your feet. So I think that that makes sense. And I think, you know, I like that you use the bike um, to supplement because that's non-impact, but it's still aerobic, aerobic zone. So I think that's, you know, and, and especially as we get older, having that non-impact work, I think is, is probably critical. So so what, um, you know, what are your thoughts on Boston? Are you excited about it? What are your plans? What, um, how are you, are you training now on a treadmill? And if so, I mean, you just talked a little bit about being prepared for the Hills because of your strength, but what do you think about the Boston Hills? Like what, what do you, what are your thoughts about Boston going into Boston? Um, well, I'd love to say I'm nervous, but I'm not like, I, I feel got a lot of stuff before that. <laughs> you got a lot of stuff before. You know, I honestly feel very prepared for it. Um, I think I could, I could be ready to run it in less than four weeks from where I'm at today. Cause I'm very fit. I'm just not very fast at the moment. Does that make sense? Like, I feel like I could go out and break 240 in less than, you know, in a couple of weeks, it would just be the time on the legs. Um, that would be the old, just on the feet. That would be what I would be worried about, but you know, I'm really excited for Boston. I mean, I never, I always said, I'm never going to run Boston. I'm <laughs> Why did you say that? Why did you say that? Cause I feel like it's a little bit of a novelty, right? And I just, I don't know. There's so much hype around it. And then I don't know, like to me, it just wasn't important ever, right? Like, and I guess I didn't grow up in a running culture and then our running group here, like there's not a lot of marathoners. So it just wasn't important. And then when I got the opportunity to be in the elite field, whether it's a master's or regular, like, of course I'm going. Right. Of, co of course, I want to go. Um, I believe the master's record is 227. I think I'm going in ranked third as a master, but that's not what I plan on doing while I'm there. Um, it's really all going to depend. My goals might change slightly. So my original goal was to be how far can I be under 230? My goal now might just be to go have a good race in the low 30. And then I'm actually if everything goes right, I'm either going to Flagstaff or Kenya, and then I'm coming back to race grandmas. Oh, wow. That is so exciting. And yeah. we were, we had questions prepared. We were going to ask you whether you were preparing to um, meet the OTQ standard, but clearly you are prepared to completely blow it out of the water, which is really that is, yeah. like that's, I mean, I've been prepared. I, I really feel in California, I had, um, I had four runs of 17 to 22 miles at 543. 
So I'm really, I really feel prepared and I've just worked really, really hard. Now I just have to be able to get to the start line healthy. So it's a part of being smart. Yeah. And your approach is healthy already. The way you've sort of provided yourself a framework where you cross training isn't just an option for you when you're injured, but it's an integral part of your training along with strain training, of course, that you really are providing yourself a nice framework to be able to do that. So switching gears a little bit, um, tell us a little bit about your coaching and uh, what, how that started and what you do, because you mentioned you work three jobs and we would imagine those all have to do with your expertise. So share a little bit about what, what that looks like for you. Yeah, I am a health and wellness coach. Um, I train people from all over the world, actually, to be the best them that they can be, no matter their age, their shape, their size, whatever they have going on. And I really feel besides your certifications and, and paper, right, there's a lot of life experiences that make you a good coach. Because just because you got A's in kinesiology doesn't mean you're a people person. It doesn't mean you're loving. It doesn't mean that you know how to help people on a different level. I know when I was trying to get sober, I went to a therapist and I'm looking on her wall and she's got her perfect house and her perfect kids and good for her. But I didn't feel like she could understand what I've been through. You know, and for me as a health and wellness coach, I think it's important. I feel like God brings the right people to you so you can help them build and you can meet that person where they're at today and do what's right for them based on their schedule, their health, their family, and get them to where they want to be. And I think that's really, really important. And um, I talk to all of my clients every single day, Um, some of them 10 times a day. I have a funny story. So I train a guy from Germany and he sees that I eat a lot of beets. He sent me a picture of his poop with red in it. And he was like, I think my javelin, I think I threw it too hard. (laughs) Oh, wow. That is, that is above your pay grade for sure. That he was sending you pictures of feces, but that's hysterical. He he panicked initially and thought there was something wrong with his intestines, but it was just the beets, but I, but I really feel like, so I mean, the same thing happened to me when I started eating beets. I remember before the Bismarck marathon, I sat in the bathroom crying because I was peeing red and I didn't understand. I was like, what did I break now? You know, but I feel like that's the relationship you should have with your coach and with the people that are investing in your future is that nothing is off limits. You should be able to talk to them about anything. And I think that's what really sets me aside And I specialize things based on their life, you know, and their kids are important and running. We love, and it's a stress reliever. And without it, I think, I I don't even know where a lot of us would be because it's how we handle our things, right? Like we don't have time to clean our house, but we have time to go for a run. Right. (laughs) But I think, um, getting, meeting people where they are is just really, really important. And I really specialize in obstacle management. So taking the things that have kept them from succeeding in the past, and we either conquer it, learn how to move through it, or we eliminate it. And that's really important. Yeah, I think that, um, that your, your experiences and where, how you got to where you are now must make you such a good coach in that sense, and that you really um, can, you can empathize with people and 
um, can see beyond just um, the statistics that they're bringing to you or their race times, or um, it's really important to look outside of that and figure out what's motivating people, what's holding people back. And um, your experience brought you to this point. I mean, everything that's happened to you, even though it's been, you know, it has not been a a beautiful path it's been but it's been the path that you you know clearly have been meant to to be on so so in just you kind of wrapping things up what you know what advice do you have you've given a lot of great advice already but what advice do you have for people who might be listening now and having you know facing some really significant obstacle and just saying like i i can't you know these goals you know that i had are not not within reach anymore. Some, somebody is just really facing something very significant in their life. What what advice would you give them for kind of moving past that obstacle and, and achieving their goals? First thing is get up, right? A miracle never happened in the Bible without action. And without action, nothing will ever happen. So you have to get up. If it's hard, that's okay. If you don't look the way you want to look, if you don't feel the way you want to feel, it's not about where you are right now, but you have to start. You don't have to be amazing to start, but you have to start to be amazing. And it's really important. Surround yourself with warriors who believe. And at first, when you take those scissors to the people around you, it's kind of hard. But once you see how peaceful life is, when you surround yourself with people who support you, life changes and it becomes a lot easier. And also you've never regretted a workout. Stop making excuses, get it done first thing and feel good because success is a feeling, right? No one can give it to you. You can't borrow it. You can't steal it. You didn't inherit it. You have to earn it, you know, and earn it once again, comes back to that taking action and then be good with your time. Love that. You are absolutely just such a gem to talk to. And you have so many nuggets. We need to have you back on because there's so much more to your story. And we know there will be so much more to your story in the future based on all the exciting things that are to come just this spring and concluding with grandmas. And we cannot wait to see you in action. And we will be following your journey and we cannot wait to meet you in Boston. But we are so grateful that you took time to talk to us today, April. As Lisa mentioned, you you really, we know that time is, is precious and we so appreciate you taking the time to talk with us and sharing your story with our listeners. And real quick before we go, just let our listeners know where they can find you. Yeah, aprilunfitness.com. And then I am on Facebook. I only do Facebook because I can barely keep up with that. <laughs> Sounds great. Well, April, thank you so much again, and we wish you all the best, and we will be cheering for you from afar and cheering for you in Boston, of course, too. Thank you so much. Thanks, Thanks, April. April. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to the Run Farther and Faster Boston Marathon podcast. We want to give a special thanks to our editor, Aaron Bryant. And if you enjoyed this episode and enjoy listening to our podcast, please share it with others and please leave a review if you haven't done so already on iTunes. Thanks for listening and have a great week.